It's great just to hang out with you guys and, and be here tonight. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the church. I don't want to talk about the church as like this building or as an institution. I want to talk about the church as a people, as a group, as a community. Um, in some circles of the church, the, the body of people that you are, we are here tonight, is sometimes called a communion, right? Particularly, I think the Anglicans use that, the Anglican communion, the Anglican congregations. Uh, a, a word in scripture that's used also is a one called fellowship. If you grew up inside the church, that word may be familiar to you. When I was growing up as a kid, uh, fellowship was a time when all the students would get together and we would hang out after church on Sunday night and we'd run all over the place and we'd eat food and, and generally make a mess of the place. But um, the word fellowship actually means to be a, a participant, to have a share in something. It's a sense that has a word that has like a little bit of ownership that comes with it. And, um, and that's a word that, that scripture uses to describe what the body of believers is. Uh, think of it this way. Um, in the Lord of the Rings series, there's one of the books. It's called The Fellowship of the Ring, right? That's where you get hobbits and dwarves and they go off to save Middle Earth from impending doom, right? So it's that kind of an idea. It's this fellowship. It's, it's being a part of something. It's being a group. It's being an, in the community, if you will. And there have been times in my life where I haven't always felt like I've been in the community, like I've been on the inside of things, that I've, I've been a part. And there's been a lot of times in my life where I feel like I've um, been excluded, where I haven't been accepted in different areas of my life. And, and, and sometimes it's like, man, I don't feel like I fit in this group of people, or maybe it's like at a certain place. Um, I'm a pretty down-to-earth kind of a guy. I'm not a, not a real fancy type dude, but there's been some times where I've been in some, some really nice, like, hotels or homes and you just kind of look around and you're like man I do not I do not belong here this is not my people this is not kind of my my vibe or my jive and um and I've, I've felt that before and and sometimes that feeling comes from um I'm just I'm a little brother I grew up a little brother so I'm used to being left out right as my older brother would go off and do stuff so I'm used to being left out um it may be it may stem all the way back to when I was born um I was left in a hospital for almost a week before my adoptive parents came to pick me up. So maybe I have some kind of abandonment issues that lay deep inside there as well. And sometimes I'm just socially awkward too, so I don't, I don't fit into groups and things like that real easy sometimes. Um, but I'm probably not the only person that feels that way. I'd be willing to bet my next paycheck that everybody in this room has felt that sense of disappointment that you've been on the outside of some particular group looking in with a sense of longing with a sense of wanting to be accepted. And that might be a social group of people hanging around. Um, uh, maybe that was at, at a place that you wanted to go, but you could never get in. Uh, maybe you didn't have the right qualifications, the right kind of credentials. Maybe you didn't have the right kind of social graces to fit into a, a particular group or something like that. Maybe you didn't have some kind of, uh, you know, maybe it was a school you tried to get into or something and you didn't have the right, right great. Yeah, sometimes it's the color of your skin, right? Maybe it's the zip code you live in, right? Maybe you, you, don't, you don't fit in because um, you don't have the right education. You don't have a, a job that you make the right kind of money to be part of these different groups and stuff like that. Um, but I'm sure everybody's felt that way. And that kind of feeling can be really discouraging and really damaging because humanity is created to be in community. One of my favorite theological books is a, 
uh, written by a guy named Stanley Grenz. And the title is Created for Community. And we see this all around us, how we're, we're created this way to be with other people. Just look at societies all over the world. I mean, there's, there's tribes and assemblies and groups all over the world. People do that naturally because that's the way we're built, to be together, to be with other people. And if you take a look at your life, and you'll recognize this too, you probably have a group of people that you just hang out with. You got a group of people that you work with. Maybe you got a group of people that you play games with. You got a group of people that you go to school with, right? Maybe, maybe it's something as simple as you ride the bus or the train to work with the same group of people all the time. Or maybe you say hi to your neighbors, right? Just the people that live right around you. You're kind of that, that kind of in-house community. Or maybe you go to this coffee shop and you recognize these faces all the time. It's the same people that you see. And you feel kind of a sense of kinship, right? And all of a sudden you begin to like, this is my coffee shop, right? People know your name. People know when you come and you go. They know what you order all the time. And we're that way. We're built that way to be part of a gathering, part of a group of people, a community, if you will, a fellowship. Even here tonight, right? We're a group. We're gathered here, right? We're gathered here to worship. We're gathered here to recognize God as the creator, the almighty. But yet, we're such a diverse group of people, right? Our nationalities are different. Our skin tones are different. Our education levels are different. I mean, there's probably a laundry list of things that we could just outline all about our differences. But, but that's one of the things I love about the church, right? It should be, it can be, a group of people that are diverse from all walks of life that can come together. And a church doesn't come together for itself, right? It's not just a social group. We don't just get together because we all think the same way. I mean, there's probably people here all across the political spectrum, right? There's probably people around here that eat bacon three meals a day, and there's probably people around here that are vegans and never touch meat, right? Uh, there's people here that love being in Denver, and there's probably people that hate being in Denver, and you just kind of feel like you're stuck here. You, there's all kinds of differences that we get to experience and that we get to be a part of, and that's one of the beautiful things that I, I love about the church. You see, we come here not just for ourselves, but we are a people uh, that is uh, called by the grace of God to fulfill the mission of God by living out the kingdom of God in here and where it's not just for us. You see, following Jesus leads us into a sense of community, leads us into this group. I want to show you what I'm talking about. If you have a Bible, open it up, Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to okay, hang out here just for a couple of minutes. Hebrews chapter 10, open the pages, open the app on your phone. If you got one of those, got it on your phone. Um, I think we might even have a screen. Yep, there we go. We got it up there on the screen. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, from a, uh, excuse me, from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, 
All the more as we see the day approaching, the day of the Lord approaching. As we look at this scripture, this tells us how to be that community, how to be that body, how to be that fellowship of Christ followers. Um, Verse 19 starts out with the word therefore. And we've got to stop. We've got to ask the question, what is therefore therefore? Therefore is a grammatical clue that tells us that we're looking at an already developing thought or idea that we're, we're kind of stepping into a river that's already moving and going. And so the word therefore shows us, hey, what's going to come after this is dependent upon what came before it. And so what came before chapter 10, verse 19, is that the author of Hebrews, the unknown author, is writing to Jewish converts to Christianity, people that went from being Jewish to believing in Jesus. And he says, you know what? This is about Jesus, and Jesus is superior to the old way of doing things. As a matter of fact, he talks about Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Moses and Abraham. Jesus is superior to the old covenant. Jesus is superior to the laws and the sacrifices. That's what the first 19 verses of chapter 10 are about. Jesus is superior in every way, particularly to these laws and these sacrifices that were made. Because in the Old Testament system, they had to make these sacrifices, right? Over and over and over and over and over again. First for the priest, for himself, and then for the community. But these, these sacrifices were temporary. They, they were ineffective. They were only able to cover over sin. They weren't able to get rid of it. But Jesus' sacrifice was superior. When he died on the cross for our sins, his sacrifice was powerful. It was permanent. It was effective. It did exactly what it was intended to do. It was to drive sin away, to get rid of it, to, to provide forgiveness for people. So the Hebrews, uh, when they read this book, when they read this letter that was written to them, it was meant to be encouragement to them that as they were being persecuted for their new faith in Jesus, the author says Jesus is worth it. He's superior to the old ineffective order, the old religious systems, the empty practices that you had to repeat again and again and again and again. Jesus is superior to that because he died once and for all. Uh, the Hebrews, this letter, is a reasoned appeal to not abandon the faith to return to the old way of doing things as these people were being persecuted for what they believed. So when we get to verse 19, we can hear the author's voice say, therefore, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, he says, let us with confidence approach God. We can approach God with a sense of deep confidence, right? Uh, we have a new way of living our lives, We don't have to live it the old way. And he says there, we have a great high priest. We have an advocate that will speak to God on our behalf. And then he lines out three ways that that we can be the church. And he starts out each one with lettuce. Let us, let us, let us. And I thought about calling this a lettuce sermon, right? They all start out that same way. And I know we're going to eat soon, so I'll stop talking about food. But what he does here is he lists these three, let us, right, as a community, as a group, as a people. He li- they're kind of progressive, right? They go in kind of an order, one, two, three, four. In the sense they're progressive that you can't, you, you can't do number two until you do number one. 
Okay, let me re-say that again because that sounds a little weird. Um, you can't do step two until you do step one, right? You don't jump to step three, right? And it's not just that it's linear either. It's kind of cyclical. It cycles like the season. There may be a time when you're, when you're at number three, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but then you've got to come back to number one, right? You've got to come back to that beginning stage. But all of this, all of this encouragement in these couple of verses teaches us how to be the church, how to be a community, how to be a fellowship of Christ followers living in the way of Jesus. So let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at the first one. It shows up in verse 22. Let us draw near to God, right? Let us draw near to God. We have the ability to confidently approach and come to God, right? We don't have to be fearful. We can move in a direction that we become more familiar with who God is. And I, I don't think this is meant literally, right? I, I, that's not what it's talking about. We're no more closer to God because we're in a church building than if we were in McDonald's, right? But I think what we're talking about here is we move closer to God. We draw near to God relationally and personally. We draw near to God when we seek ways to engage him. Uh, we draw near to God when we invite him into our lives. Uh, we draw near to God when we create space, time, and energy to be with him. Uh, we can move closer to God using some uh, faith practices, right? Some spiritual disciplines. Now, we've engaged in a couple of them tonight, right? We've worshiped through song, right? We've prayed, uh, we've read some scripture. Those are pretty common ones that, that folks are familiar with. But there are some other ones too. And they're disciplines because they take a little bit of work. They take a little bit of energy in order to get the benefit, if you will. Times like silence and solitude. I remember the first time I went on a, a silent retreat. I was just going for a day. I literally got out of the car at this Catholic retreat center down in Colorado Springs I got out of the car. I was a little bit pissed about being there because I'm like, I got so much stuff to do. I can't take a whole day off. I literally got out of the car and said, okay, God, I'm here. You better show up. That is a total wrong attitude to have when you're going into something about silence and solitude. But it takes work, right? Generosity. We may not have a lot, but are we generous with what we do have? Service. Dave was talking about thanking people for cleaning out the basement, right? That kind of stuff. Giving. All those different things. Confession. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We're going to partake in communion tonight, right? That's a spiritual practice in which we engage that we can draw closer to God. And we draw closer to God out of a sense of dependency. Out of a search for comfort and protection because of God's love. Right? It's not fear. Why would you ever draw near to somebody that you were scared of? It's not that way. We don't draw near to God out of obligation either. Uh, like we owe him, like we could pay him back for what Christ did for us. Earlier in the book of Hebrews, the writer encourages the people with something similar. In verse 4, 16, he says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How beautiful is that? That we can confidently go to the throne room of God, the creator of the universe, the one who flung the stars across the sky and painted pine trees green, that we can go there and we can find mercy and we can find grace and we can find help when we need it. 
We draw near to God because he loves us. Let's take a look at the second lettuce. Let us, let us hold unswervingly to hope, right? Unswervingly to hope. Here again, we see the progression, right? If we draw near to God and deepen that relationship with him, we have this sense of strength to hold on to the confession of our hope, the confession of our faith. Our proximity to God directly affects our ability to hold unswervingly to the hope that we confess as Christians. The literal meaning of this word, unswervingly, that's kind of a mouthful, is to hold fast. I used to work out at a martial arts dojo with a guy who was a tattoo artist. And as you would imagine, he was a walking canvas for his art. On his knuckles was tattooed the words, hold fast. And I'm intrigued by tattoos. I love tattoos. I have one. I've got about 10 more in my head that I'd like to get. But I'm intrigued by tattoos ever since my brother got his first one. But he had ta- hold fast tattooed across his knuckles. I'm like, the math works out just great. And I said, what is hold fast? What are you, what are you holding fast to? And he told me it's an, it's an old sailor's tradition to have hold fast tattooed on your knuckles. Because it was a reminder to the sailors that when their ship was going to get beat by the storm, to grab onto something, to hold tight, to latch onto something and hold fast so they didn't get knocked over, bounced around the deck, or worst of all, knocked overboard. And so the writer of Hebrews here is saying the same thing. He's encouraging the readers of this letter, these new Christians that, that have followed Jesus and given up a Judaism that are being persecuted for their faith. He says, hold fast. He wants them to remain true to their faith. When they're being victimized for what they believe, he says, hold fast to the promise that Jesus saves. You be faithful because Jesus is faithful. Being mistreated for their faith in Jesus was much better than the comfort provided by an empty, hollow, powerless belief system. The writer of Hebrews here is encouraging these readers, be spiritually consistent hold fast. Thirdly, in verse 24, the third piece of lettuce in this sandwich, if you will, let us spur one another on to love and to good deeds. And again, this progression is developing, right? We draw near to God in which we find the strength to hold fast to the confession of our faith. And then we understand and have the maturity and the wisdom and know the responsibility it is to spur other people on to love and good deeds. The word spur here is a little bit of a loaded word. It has the idea of provoke. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. This is not necessarily a comfortable word. It's not a passive word. It's an assertive word. It's a confrontational word. It has the idea built into it a little bit of argument. Provoke somebody. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. What are those things that cowboys wear on their feet in order to make the horse go fast? Turn left, turn right? Spurs. Yeah. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Think of it this way. Poke at somebody. Turn to your neighbor and poke them. Do it now. Go and do it. Poke somebody. Right? Poke them. You feel that little bit of tension? It's like, hey, man, don't, you don't have to listen to him. Just because he said it, you don't have to do it. Right? We get that idea. To be the body of Christ, to be the fellowship of, of, of believers that are living in the way of Jesus, there's a responsibility to provoke, to poke, to spur each other on to love 
and to good deeds. But we don't just do that willy-nilly, right? We can provoke in such a way that splits or does damage to the community. We don't want to poke in such a way that we rupture the fellowship, where relationships begin to break down, where people begin to think all of a sudden, I don't need you, I can do this on my own, where we end up being kind of free-range chickens out there doing our own thing, right? Remember, we're created for community. We're created to be a people, a group, if you will. It's not hard to think of what love and good deeds means, what the author is referring to. But let me, I'll read you a scripture real quick. James 1.27 tells us this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Right? Yeah, it's a great thing to care for love. Let's care for orphans and widows. But let's bring that into the 21st century, right? Yeah, we have orphans. We have widows. Absolutely. Let's make it a little bit broader, okay? Find somebody that's been pushed to the margins of society. Find somebody who doesn't fit in. Find somebody who's been excluded and love that person. Single mom, single dad, somebody who's homeless, an immigrant. Find somebody that doesn't fit into your circle, your social class, and invite them in. Love them. Show them the grace and the mercy of God. If you can't think of somebody who might fit into that category that's marginalized, that, that's pushed out, left out, then ask the staff around here. I'm sure they know lots of people that you could reach out to, that you could befriend, that you could show the love of Jesus to. If you know a story, then maybe you need to, you need to find somebody that will partner with you. How do, we, how do we fix this story? How do we fix this person's issue? How do we come together? How do you brainstorm to help others come together? You see, these three lettuces, let us draw near to God, let us hold fast to our faith, and let us spur each other on to love and good deeds. This is what it is to be a fellowship of believers. This is how we function as the church, a community, a fellowship. And it's all because of Jesus. And I ask you this question tonight. When we talk about those three things, drawing near to God, holding fast to the faith, and spurring one another on, where are you in that cycle? Right, you see you, you, how it can be cyclical, how you might go, wait, I need, to, I, need to, I need to go back. You see, I'm at this point in my life where I need to draw near to God. That's where I need to be. I, I haven't created space for him lately. You see, I'm, I'm too worried about my boys who started school this past week because they go to the STEM school in Highlands Ranch where the shooting was in May. So I'm worried about them. I'm more worried about fixing my deck in the backyard than I am creating space. I'm, I'm worried about my workload at my job. So I need to go back. And it's not back to a beginning. It's not back to something more simple. It's not back to some remedial kind of a, I'm not going back to kindergarten. See, when God, when, when scripture talks about drawing near to God, for, for those who are participants of the faith, this is an opportunity to understand you will never exhaust a relationship with God. There is always more to learn about him. There's always more 
to appreciate. There's always a deeper sense of God's love. As we continually open ourselves up to him, as we continually draw near to him, as we continually invite him in and create space to spend time with him, there's always more. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're an observer to the faith, right? Uh, You sing the songs, but they don't stir your soul. You've talked with people, you've chatted, but you don't really feel like you're part of the in-group. Maybe you've listened to us read scripture tonight and it just seems kind of distant for you. Uh, Then maybe for you, drawing near to God is that most basic faith practice of confession. Of saying, God, I don't, I don't want to be on the outside anymore. I want to be loved and accepted by you. I want my sin forgiven. I want to be a beneficiary of grace. I want to know what it's like to be called your son or your daughter. That act of confession that says, my life is a wreck, my sin needs forgiving. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe we talk about what it is to hold fast to the faith. Maybe that's where you're at in this process, if you will. Maybe that's the season of your life. Maybe life is just beating the snot out of you, left and right. You can't seem to catch a break. You look into the future and you have no clear way forward. You, you don't know what to do in this situation or that situation. And it would seemingly be easier just to cash in your faith and be done with it. But maybe for you, it's more about doubling down. Doubling down on your faith in Jesus instead of just folding and saying, I'm done. What would it look like for you to put your faith into a practice in a new way? And like I talked about, some of those spiritual disciplines. Uh, Maybe you ask around here at SCUM, how do I get involved in serving and helping? Maybe you ask the question, how do I get involved in leading? Maybe it's time for you to turn a page that's not necessarily going to answer all of your questions, but it's one where you grip harder because the boat of your life is getting beat by a storm is not the time to loosen and let go. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe this evening you're thinking, yeah, how do I spur somebody on to love and good deeds? Did somebody's face pop into your head when we talked about that? Do you know somebody who has a need and somebody who has the resources to meet that need? Maybe you need to go to the person with the resources and you need to say, hey, you need to take care of this. How do you provoke that person to a sense of compassion and sympathy and possibly empathy to meet that need? How do you retell somebody else's story so that other people are inspired to go and to help out with what they need? How can you lovingly push somebody to express their love for Jesus in a world that so desperately needs it? How do you do that? Was there somebody that popped into your mind? Where are you in this progression? Do you need to draw near to God? Do you need to grip tighter onto your faith? Do you need to spur somebody on to love and good deeds? Because in a community, in a fellowship, in a family. That's okay to do all of those things. To say, I need, to say, you have, they need. 
You see, this is, this is a body where we hold each other accountable, where we love each other, we accept each other. We have doors that are open. So I would encourage you guys, as Scum's going through a little bit of a transition, be the church. Don't just come here. Be the fellowship. Have a stake in it. Be a participant. See, Scum isn't here just to be a provider of religious goods and services because it doesn't exist for itself. It exists as a community of people that live in the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, it's seemingly a foreign thing that we can come boldly with confidence into your presence that we can have a relationship with you, that we can find help and care and grace. Father God, we pray that we would do that, that when the storms of life begin to beat on us, that we would hold fast to our confession of faith, that we would know that Jesus is faithful and we need to remain faithful. And in doing so, we would spur others on to acts of love and good deeds. God, you are good to us far beyond what we can imagine. And Father, you are so present with us even at times when we don't see it. We think we are distant from you or that you are distant from us. But Father God, would your spirit open our eyes that we might be able to see you at work. Father, let this encouragement not just be from a letter written thousands of years ago, but let it land in the hearts of folks today in a way that provides them with reassurance, with acceptance, with love, knowing that Christ came to die for us and that his love and forgiveness is still accessible today. Father, we just thank you. We are grateful for your mercy. Amen.